Good evening, guys. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to this special episode of Weebs Live and Serial Spirits Mashup. Shay, are you on there still? I'm here. Your video is frozen. Sorry, guys. We're having some major technical difficulties here tonight. That's OBS. It's not me. Give me uh, just a second here because I look to be live and you look to be frozen. Hold on just a second here. You guys, thanks for watching. Um, Please hold tight with us. We had some tech problems earlier uh, because we have an incredibly crazy case to bring you guys tonight if i can get shay shay are you there i'm here nod there you are okay (laughs) i don't know what happened we were frozen there for a hot second you guys thanks so much for watching let's say hi to everybody in the uh chat room here ashley lisa gina dawn sam debbie kez darren uh, Ricardo, Craig, Doreen, Jason, Dawn says, I'm new to your live. Thanks for watching, guys. Darren Buss, always. You guys, we have uh, a really, really insane story to bring to you guys tonight. It's not really true crime. It's not really paranormal. It falls somewhere in between, and it's absolutely nuts. Before we do that, um, a couple of quick announcements. I want to say again a huge thanks to Jerry and Tracy Polly for having us out this weekend to come speak with um, at this live podcast convention with Hillbilly Horror Stories, the Brohio podcast, and History Goes Bump. I got to get up and uh, talk with this crowd of people that they had there in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. And we had an absolute freaking blast. So if you guys like podcasts, go over and subscribe to all of them. Hillbilly Horror Stories, Brohio, and History Goes Bump. You guys will love them just as much as we do. One last quick announcement before we jump into tonight's story. You guys, this Saturday in Nitro, West Virginia at Ridenour Lake, Shay and I are going to be at the Festival of Fright. It is a free Halloween, cryptid, paranormal, outdoor conference. A couple of our buddies run it. We have an absolute blast. I think this is the third year doing it. This year, I'm going to be doing a panel with Dave Spinks, who is a well-known paranormal investigator and cryptid head. We're going to be there talking about all things Creepy, Halloween, paranormal, you guys come up, hang out with us. We're going to have an absolute blast. All right, so let's get back to the topic at hand tonight. Um, Had a couple of comments in here already that this is an absolutely creepy story, and it is literally one of the creepiest unexplained deaths that I have ever researched for our show, for our podcast. Shay, have you heard of the death of Elisa Lamb? Absolutely. So, okay, before we get into it, um, I know that this has been covered on several different podcasts, but the story is so insane that we kind of have to, I want to dive into it with you guys, and we're going to show you some creepy video. It's just insane. Okay, so... Let's go back to 2005, 
and a movie called Dark Water. Shay, did you ever see the movie? No. You didn't? No. Really? Okay. So, 2005, there's a movie released called Dark Water. stars Jennifer Connelly. She's a young divorced mother. And oh, yeah, yeah. I have seen this movie. Yeah, yes. I know you have. She and her young daughter, after this divorce, move into this kind of dilapidated apartment building where they start to have really strange activity, including these floods of dark water that come down into their apartment. And so at the end of the movie, they discover that in the water tank on the top of this building that supplies all the water to this apartment building, um, there's a dead body. The body of a missing girl is floating in this tank. And so it was haunting them. But what if this movie had actually been real? What if there was a real life story based around this movie? That would be creepy. <laughs> and it would be accurate because yeah. when we talk about the death of Elisa Lamb, it seems like death imitated art. So this college student, Elisa Lamb, disappeared from a shady hotel in Los Angeles in 2013, the series of events that led up to her disappearance, including an incredibly bizarre video from the night that she disappeared that we're going to show you later, and then the discovery of her body in one of the most unlikely places only deepened this mystery. Was Elisa Lamb's death an accident, a suicide, a murder? Or something even more sinister. Well, whatever happened, like this story takes, I don't know, bizarre turns every which way. But I have tons of theories myself, and I can't wait to kind of share a little bit because I've lately dug deep into the wormhole of weirdness myself, researching for our podcast, Serial Spirits. And I'm going to throw some of them theories out there tonight after you give a little timeline of what's, what, what this story entails. Okay, so let's get into it. 2013, Elisa Lamb is a student at the University of British Columbia, and she was sightseeing alone through California. Kind of strange to me already. I, I guess that wouldn't be something that I would consider doing for fun. You're sightseeing by yourself. She traveled alone by Amtrak and by bus. She had already visited the San Diego Zoo. She took a bunch of pictures. She posted them on her social media. Everything seemed fine. January 28, 2013, she checked into the Cecil Hotel, <laughs> which is in L.A.'s downtown Skid Row. Yeah, it's in Skid Row of all places to yeah. go. She was initially assigned a shared room, which, okay, automatically throws up a red flag about a hotel. When you have to share a, a room with somebody else in a hostel-like environment, that says creepy and weird and murder to me already. Especially, if, like, you know, coming from Canada, traveling by yourself, it's like, okay, you, you just, you're a girl alone in this big city in the most terrible part of this big city, L.A., Skid Row. 
Right. And you have to share a room. Ugh. Okay. So she's initially assigned a shared room with somebody else on the fifth floor of the hotel. But her roommates complained to management of her, what they would call certain odd behavior. And she was moved to a room of her own after two days. So she's in this hotel for a couple of days. She's sharing a hotel room with these people and they go to management and they're like, there's something off about this. We want her out of here. And so they move her to a room of her own. Probably a smart, smart idea. Probably a good idea. So if this says anything to you guys about, okay, the Cecil Hotel on Skid Row, just to give you a, a visual image of what this place looks like, Gracie, stop the cat's chewing on the cord down here. Sorry. It's about to be like a Christmas vacation episode. But Hopefully. Stop. <laughs> She's my baby. Okay. So if there's one mental image that I could give you of the Cecil Hotel, serial killer Richard Ramirez, who was also known as the Night Stalker, stayed at the Cecil Hotel while he committed some of his murders. And his partner, Jack Unterweger. Really? Yeah, he was there with them, too. They, like, both stayed there. So that's like, yeah, this is the hotel that, you know. Okay. This 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 gives you the state of mind of where she's at. Right. This is the picture that you get. If you've ever seen pictures of Richard Ramirez, he was literally, they talked about how filthy and disgusting that he was in court, just his his hygiene and all this kind of stuff. So this is the kind of place that you're looking at, the Cecil Hotel. And Which is kind of weird because this was a huge nice hotel in like the thirties and like, right. you know, when the depression hit, it just kind of went under and never regained its luster. Right. So you're a young college student traveling outside the country alone and you decide to stay in this serial killer hotel. It's not a good idea already. I mean, this already sounds like um, a, just a terrible idea. So a little bit about Elisa Lamb and her family. She was from Vancouver, British Columbia. Her parents were immigrants from Hong Kong who owned a restaurant just outside of Vancouver. Lamb had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and depression, which was known by her family, but not many other people. She was being treated with several medications, and she even blogged about her struggles with mental illness. And so I think that's something that um, in their culture, they didn't speak about a lot, but it seemed as if, you know, down the road that really came into play because she, she struggled so much with her mental illness that she wrote a blog about it. And some of her blogs were very sad. Yeah. I never, I've never looked at her blog, so I don't really know what she wrote about. She changed her blogs around quite a bit. Some of them, she did like fashion blogs, but then, and it seems like in the later part of her days, right before she died, they kind of picked up, they were a little more upbeat. But if you went back to 2012, she wrote some really dark things about her depression that were really very sad. So, what was, what she, did she name it something? Yeah, and I can't remember what it was. It, I didn't it was that. Ether Fields or something Ether, like that? I think it was at yeah. Ether Fields or something yeah. like that. Um, I don't know if they still exist. I didn't look for them. 
So she's blogging about her mental illness and her struggles. Lamb had contacted her parents in British Columbia every single day while she traveled. On January 31st, 2013, the day that she was scheduled to check out of the Cecil Hotel and move on to Santa Cruz, they didn't hear from her and they immediately called LAPD to report her missing. So she had been talking to her parents every single day on January 31st when they didn't hear from her. They knew automatically that something was wrong and they contacted local authorities. Plus, it would make sense. They know that she has some mental illness, too. So it's like, well, what, you know, what, right. they're probably constantly checking on her. But I'm not like, you know, any kind of st- like stereotyping whatsoever. But I've had friends who are of like, you know, that culture, the Asian culture. And the, the parents are always actively involved in their children's lives. Like constantly. I had a friend and his parents were always calling him all the time to see what he was doing, to see if he was okay and checking on him. So I think that was part of the culture as well. So it seemed like her family, she was very involved with her family. Yes. And so they were very worried from minute one when they did not hear from her. So staff at the Cecil Hotel who saw her that day said that Elisa was alone. She had been at a local bookstore buying souvenirs for her family, and they described her disposition as friendly, outgoing, and cheerful. So not somebody that you would expect to be, you know, really kind of downtrodden in what was going on in their life. It seemed like she was having a good time, and she's out there buying souvenirs to take back to her family. So immediately when her family calls and reports her missing to LAPD, they go out there and they start searching the building. I'm assuming they know the history behind this building and they're thinking, oh, young girl traveling traveling alone, parents all of a sudden don't hear from her. Not a good story. So they actually go to the Cecil Hotel with canines and start searching for Elisa. They look all throughout the building. They look on the rooftop of the building. They find no trace of her. They also, the dogs pick up no scent of Elisa Lamb. On February the 6th, police expanded the search by spreading flyers throughout the area and posting her story online. So she goes from January 31st to February the 6th before they really start broadcasting this as a missing person. On February 15th, after a week with no sign of her, LAPD released a video of the last known sighting of Elisa taken in one of the Cecil Hotel's elevators on a surveillance camera. It drew worldwide interest in the case due to Elisa's strange behavior and has been analyzed over and over again. It was reposted and viewed three million times and received over 40,000 comments in its first 10 days. Guys, this video, um, it's about two minutes long, and I'm going to show it to you right now. It's a little disturbing because when you find out how Elisa died and the condition in which her body was found and the um, knowing that this was the last time that anyone ever saw Elisa Lamb alive, it's perplexing. It's a little disturbing. We're going to take about two minutes right now and show you 
the video from the Cecil Hotel's elevator that was captured the night that Elisa Lamb disappeared. Okay, so that video actually goes on for about another two minutes, and what you see right after that is pretty much the exact same thing. Elisa Lamb gets back in the elevator and continues that behavior. So you see her, first of all, get in the elevator and push every button on the way down. We've all been stuck in an elevator when a kid gets in there and like pushes every button so you're stopping on every floor on the way down. She you know what I thought when she was pushing those buttons, that little voice should do the tricks or treat or tricks or whatever you do. One, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> Deb Morgan in her finest role ever. Um, yeah, so she gets in the elevator. She pushes every single button on the way down. And then she kind of cowers over in the corner. And then she gets out and looks around the corners like she's looking for someone. It leads you to believe originally that she's either hiding from someone, she's being chased. I don't know. And so... She gets back in, she kind of cowers again, but then she gets back out and it almost looks like she's talking to someone. She's got these kind of crazy hand gestures going on. It almost looks like she, it's not sign language, but it's just crazy hand gestures that she's using. Um, it appears as if she's speaking to someone, but again, this is not high quality video from, you know, Skid Row Cecil Hotel. So, her mouth is pixelated. You can't really tell what words she's actually saying. And so it's it's just it's the whole the whole her whole demeanor in the video is doesn't seem like she's distressed to me. I watch it and I see, you know, she gets in, she pushes a bunch of buttons, she hides in the corner like she's hiding from someone, then she pokes her head out like she's looking for someone, comes back in, hides back in the corner, then goes out and just off camera she's motioning with her hands like you said. She's doing something, whether she's talking to somebody or not. But she also has a point where she walks out, almost like she's like standing in some weird pattern, moves her legs like in some like weird pattern, then steps back in the elevator, steps back out, almost like she's playing a game. Right. Like if somebody is chasing her, I mean, her behavior is kind of odd for somebody who's chasing her. Like it just seems, I don't know. There's it, to me, it's it's bizarre her behavior. She's not acting distressed, like I said. But it's almost like she is having some like psychotic breakdown or something or some mental like she's in some weird mental state. She's acting a little manic. Yeah, very. That's the word manic. She's acting very manic. She's acting a little manic. And so when you see her jump in and she hits all those buttons to begin with, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why would you do that if someone was chasing you, number one? There's only one button you're going to hit, and that's the door close button. You're not going to jump back out and look around to see who's there. It's not like she was even like, also, I want to say like playing hide and go seek with somebody. Like, oh, we're playing a game. I'm going to go hide in the elevator. Let's. Or was she? Or was she playing with something she couldn't see? But it also, well, I mean, I know we're going to get into that, but it also, you know, people have said that the maintenance man was one of the suspects or somebody who could have killed her. But you would have thought, I mean, it would make sense maybe to be him because he knew maybe the camera was there. So he's staying just off camera so you can't see him. But also if she was being chased by somebody, like you said, 
I wouldn't sit there in the elevator the whole time looking around the corner. I would at least found a set of stairs to run up or down. You know what I mean? And it's just she's a grown woman, whether she's having some kind of mental instability or or not. Like she she would have tried to run somewhere. That's why I don't think she was being chased by somebody. She wouldn't get in and try to jam the elevator by pushing every button, every button, every floor. So, again, that video in the first 10 days of uh, being posted, 3 million views. So people from here to China, literally, knew what was going on with Elisa Lam. During the search for Elisa, guests at the hotel began complaining about low water pressure Some later even said that their water took on a blackish color and had an unusual taste. On the morning of February 19th, 2013, Lamb's body was found in a thousand gallon water tank that provided water to the guest rooms, the hotel kitchen, and the hotel coffee shop. Gross. The tank was drained and cut open, and because its maintenance hatch was too small to accommodate equipment that it needed to uh, remove Lamb's body. So they go back to an area that they have already searched. The dogs had not hit in that area, but police also later said that they didn't even remember if they took the dogs to the area where the water tank was. So from January 31st to February the 19th is when they found Elisa's body floating in the hotel's water tank. So what I want to know is, was it locked? Was there some lock on the, on the maintenance hatch? Do you know? So here's what I found out. Okay. So they drained the water tank. They have to uh, cut open the maintenance hatch to get the equipment in there that they need to, I guess, kind of preserve the scene and remove her body. On February 21st, the LA coroner's office issued a finding of accidental drowning with bipolar disorder as a significant factor that led to Elisa Lamb's death. The full coroner's report released in June of that year stated that Lamb's body was found naked Clothing similar to that that she was wearing in the elevator video was floating in the water, but covered in a what they called a sand-like particulate. Her watch and her room key were found in the tank with her, but her cell phone was missing and was never found. That's weird. I wasn't laughing at the situation. Ryle Russell, I mean, Russell Ryan said something funny in the chat, and I was laughing at that. He said that after you were talking about how the water smelled or whatever, he said the hotel coffee actually improved. Stop. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. But Russ Ryan. Oh, <laughs> the unbelievers. Let me tell you. <laughs> uh, okay, so they find her naked body. Her clothes are in the tank with her. Her cell phone is missing. Her room key is in there. uh, And her watch is in there. So what the coroner said about Elisa Lamb's body was that it was moderately decomposed and bloated. 
There was no evidence of physical trauma, sexual assault, or suicide. Toxicology tests, which were incomplete because not enough of her blood was preserved at the scene, showed traces consistent with prescription medication found among her belongings, plus some over-the-counter medicine like Sinatab and ibuprofen. A very small quantity of alcohol was present in her system, but no other recreational drugs. So they, her body has no trauma, no sexual assault, no obvious sign of suicide. Her own prescription medicines were found in her bloodstream, as they should have been, plus a sinus medicine, plus ibuprofen, plus a little bit of alcohol. So she, there was nothing like no over the top. I mean, she wasn't overdosing on her medication. She was taking the right, the right dosage. According to the coroner's report, there was nothing there that they thought was abnormal. But again, not much of her blood was preserved because of the scene. If anybody's ever seen a body that floated in the water for a significant amount of time, you know that a lot of uh, decomposition takes place and it can really basically destroy what's left behind of a, I don't want to say crime scene because it wasn't a crime scene. It was, you know, just an unexplained death. Well, too, when, you know, they say like if you sink to the bottom, if you were drowned in water, you eventually come back, float to the top because gases start to release in your body and your blood breaks down. And right. So. Your bodily gases will eventually bring you back to the surface. So I guess it's possible even if they had searched those tanks, if her body was in there and was completely submerged, maybe they didn't see it at the time. But again, the police go back to the fact that they say um, they don't really recall whether or not they searched the area of the tanks. They just remember searching the rooftop in general where the tanks were. The investigation had determined how Lamb died, but didn't offer an explanation as to how she got in the tank in the first place. Doors and stairs that accessed the hotel's roof were all locked, and only staff had passcodes and keys, and any attempt to force them open should have triggered an alarm. However, the hotel's fire escape could have allowed her to bypass those security measures. So the doors leading to that area were all supposed to be locked and only accessible by hotel staff, by key or by keypad. But people on, you know, people online, people on the Internet wanted to know how her body got there. And so they start kind of like web sleuthing on their own. And people actually posted videos of how they could get onto the roof of the Cecil Hotel by the fire escape. So they're saying she could absolutely have bypassed it, gotten up there by herself, by the fire escape. But why? Why would she have done that? Why would she get in an elevator and mess around with it for 10 minutes? I mean, that's how that video eventually ends. She leaves the elevator. The elevator never goes anywhere. Right. And she just walks out of the elevator and never comes back. So, I mean, why would she be playing around in an elevator? Why wouldn't she climb the fire escape if she could? I mean, she is obviously in some state. Right. 
it's it's evident there's something something very strange is going on mentally right Apart from the question of how she got on the roof, others even asked if she could have gotten into the tank by herself. All of the tanks were four by eight feet cylinders propped up on concrete blocks, and there was no fixed access to them. So hotel workers actually had to use ladders to look into the water. So you're talking about big concrete thousand gallon cylinders that you had to get in a ladder to look down in there. And again, they talk about um, not finding a trace of her with the dogs. The dogs did not pick her scent up up there. So again, they're talking about more effort that she would have to have. Okay, not only did she have to climb the fire escape to get up there, she most likely would have had to have a ladder to get into that tank by herself, plus open that hatch door by herself and then fall in. Oh, and if this hat, I mean, this tank has got to have some air gap in it, right? I would imagine. I guess. I don't know. Well, I, I, I mean, I would imagine because you could be able to look down it and tell, but there's no sign in autopsies that she had any head trauma or anything like that. She died from drowning, correct? That's what the final autopsy report said. Drowning was the cause of death. Um, no, they said, hold on. Yes, accidental drowning with bipolar disorder as a significant factor. Okay, so there was no sign of any head trauma or anything like that, that she fell in, knocked herself out, and that's how she drowned. No sign of trauma. No sign of assault in any way. So, you know, the the water tanks that I've seen have some air gap in it, where at least, you know, you can float and you'll, the, the top's right there, you still have room to breathe. So, that's that's kind of a bizarre a bizarre way to die if you were just put in this you jumped in there you just what do you drown yourself if i were going to commit suicide i would not attempt to do it by drowning that's like but especially again. if you made that effort to climb all the way up on top of the hotel why not just jump off you know that's right. why it's weird that she ended up in this tank right so in september of that year elisa lamb's parents filed a wrongful death suit claiming that the hotel failed to inspect and seek out hazards in the hotel that presented an unreasonable risk of danger to their daughter and other hotel guests. And they, they sought unspecified damages plus Elisa's funeral costs. The hotel argued that it could not have reasonably foreseen that Elisa might have entered the water tanks and that since it remained unknown how she got to the water tank, no liability could be assigned for failing to prevent that. And in 2015, the suit was dismissed. Yeah, I disagree with that. I mean, that's uh, how is a hotel supposed to know what an adult is going to do? You're, you're making these things up to code, you know, for a specific group of people. It shouldn't be, you know, oh, sorry, you, uh, you need to pay us a bunch of money because our daughter died in a tank you know what i mean that's why it was locked off you're not supposed to have access to that stuff right yeah no i mean they they did i i think it was probably yeah the fact that it was locked under lock and key you had to have key or keypad to get up there i guess they wouldn't assume that anyone would use a fire escape to climb up there and climb into the water tank who knows so to this day 
uh, Elisa Lamb's death is still considered an accidental drowning. But there are so many theories behind what could have actually happened to her because of the manner of her death, the way that her body was found, um, the video especially, because it's so disturbing leading up to what happened to her and the fact that that's the last time that anybody ever saw her alive. Can you imagine being her parents thinking, oh my God, we let her leave the country like this on her own and now this happened to her and that's the last thing that they have to remember her by is that video from the hotel elevator. I mean, as a as a parent, maybe they see the struggling, they see that she's not happy, so they think she wants to go on this trip. Let's let her go on this trip. Maybe it'll help her. Maybe it'll you know she'll come back a different person. You know, maybe it's a therapy thing for her. She'll write about it. She'll have a good time. And and then yeah, you have this. The last image you have of your daughter is in this weird, unexplainable state. And oh, I couldn't even imagine that. I mean, I could not even imagine that. Yeah, that millions of people have watched and have watched. Yeah, have shared, and there's tons and tons. We're doing a show about it right now. You know, like. So let's talk about some of the theories that have been brought up. So suicide. Let's talk about the potential suicide factors here. So they, we knew that she had been diagnosed as bipolar. Her blog postings um, relayed that as well. In January 2012, in a blog post, Elisa talked about a relapse at the start of the school semester that actually made her drop from school that semester. And she said it left her feeling, quote, so utterly directionless and lost. She titled that blog post, You're Always Haunted by the Idea You're Wasting Your Life. That's weird. That's a, that's a weird phrasing. Yeah. You're always haunted by the idea that you're wasting your life. And so here she is. She's dropped out of school now. We know that she was on some different medications Yes, there was a trace of alcohol in there. And for anybody who has ever known anything about antidepressants, antipsychotic medications, you're not supposed to mix them with alcohol. It can have adverse reactions. And so, Shay, your thoughts on the suicide theory? I mean, it's a possibility, you know. But to me, when you do these crime stories and they're unexplainable deaths, and it's almost a case where it looks like suicide. That's just what everybody wants to throw out there. It's suicide. There's no way – there's no explanation other than suicide. And I just – I don't buy it all the time. I don't buy that You know, I think it's possible it was suicide, but I don't think she was in her right state of mind if she committed suicide. It wasn't this conscious thought where she was going to be like, I'm, I'm ending my life. It's too sad. I can't go on anymore. You know, I'm going to kill myself. I don't think I think that if that happened, it wasn't by she wasn't she wasn't Elisa Lamp. She was out of her mind. So, okay, Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that I guess suicide, you can't rule that out because of her 
state of mind, but still, that is a really, really, really difficult way to commit suicide. If, if that is, in fact, how you're going to do it, like you sh- said, she um, she could have jumped. She could have taken medication with alcohol to actually have climbed up there, made the effort to climb up there, open this heavy latch, and drown herself in this tank seems very difficult, very unlikely. And if someone were having a really manic episode, um, I would think it would be physically difficult to do that as well. Yeah, I mean, she was messing around a bunch with the elevator. I mean, I don't know if she couldn't get the elevator to work or even knew what she was doing in that moment. So, but who's to say? But I like, it's just a bizarre way to kill yourself. A bizarre way to kill yourself. So what about murder? So let's go back to the elevator video again. It appears that at some points in this video, Elisa is stepping out and talking with someone. And also her cell phone was not found there with her. So do you think it's a possibility that someone else could have been responsible for her death? Yeah. I mean, there's all those theories going around. I think the maintenance man was one of the people who was named. I think they did a couple documentaries, and in one of them, that's who was named as the suspect. And I don't know you know, how far the investigation went if they tried to trace where her phone could have been the last time it was used, when it was turned off. But yeah, it's bizarre that all her other possessions were found, but her cell phone was not. So... That leads me to believe that somebody else could have been there. Somebody else witnessed this. Somebody else took her phone and did something with it, destroyed the evidence. And the fact that her clothes that she was wearing are not on her body. She's found totally nude, but her clothes are in the tank with her. Yeah. So you're telling me that she got in there. Okay, let's take the suicide thing a step further. She climbed into this tank in such a state that she is going to commit suicide, but she takes all of her clothes off first? Why? Why would you do that? I don't know. So... came into this world that way, you're leaving that way. I mean, I don't know. I mean... But to me, that lends more credence to the fact that somebody else could have been behind it. Something else happened, and they were like, oh my God... We have to get rid of her body. They dump her body in there. They dump her clothes, her room keys in there, her watches in there. But we had to keep her cell phone to hide any type of evidence. Well, you know, there's always, everybody always has secrets. You know, look at Dexter Morgan, prime example. But... I've heard like, you know, all these different stories of women disappearing. I actually listened to an episode of a podcast today where this woman, like she went uh, home for her family or her grandma's funeral. She was flying back and on her way back, she took a cab and met somebody at a park. Come to find out all her friends were shocked to learn that she was on almost like an escort site trying to earn extra money. And ended up getting kidnapped and killed by some guy, but nobody knew anything about it. So maybe there was something secret going on that people weren't privy to, her friends weren't privy to, her parents weren't privy to, and it it got her involved and, you know, eventually ended her life. 
I guess that's a possibility. That's something that I had never really thought about that maybe she was down on her luck and, you know, trying to get out and make her own money and ran into the wrong people. I have no idea. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I'm not saying that she was involved in anything like, you know, prostitution or anything like that, but she was in a very, very crappy part of LA, like right. the worst of the worst in one of the crappiest hotels of all time. Right. And I mean, that's just, I don't know. It's just, you run into those type of people there. True. Yeah, you've, you've got to take into consideration the area that you're in right there and the fact that, like you said, she could have been targeted because she was there alone and people knew that she was acting um, not right in the days before. Somebody in the hotel, the maintenance man, somebody she ran into on the street who she was friendly with because that's how they described her at this bookstore when she's in there buying souvenirs for her family. Apparently at one point she intended to go home. You know, she didn't have any, you know, intention at that point of, of not going home because she bought souvenirs for her family. Or the people who asked, Hey, can you move this girl to another room? She's not acting right. They knew she wasn't right. right. Something was wrong. They could have been, you know, easily involved. Right. So let's talk about the theory of an accidental death. So we knew that she was on a mixture of medications for her bipolar and depressive disorders. There was trace amount of alcohol and other medications. You're talking about sinus medicine too, these Sinutabs. Um, I didn't see the specific brand name on there, but a lot of those sinus medicines you're not supposed to mix with other drugs and alcohol either because some of them contain like, not it's not ephedrine. Yeah, ephedrine, pseudoephedrine, which they actually use like to break down and make illegal drugs, if you've ever watched Breaking Bad. Um, so she's mixing several different medications. There was at least a little bit of alcohol in there with them. Could she have gone up to the roof for whatever reason and just accidentally fallen in and drowned? In this tank. Yeah, it's possible because, you know, people do those bath salts. One of the things that bath salts, like people say, like they feel like they're on fire. So they take all their clothes off. That's the hitch in the giddy up is the clothes. If it was an accidental death, it seems like a drug reaction to something is the only thing that makes sense. Why her clothes would have been taken off unless she was murdered. I don't think if you're going to commit suicide, you're going to you take your clothes off. You know what I mean? I, I honestly don't believe it was suicide. Um, I don't think it was a purple, purposeful suicide. I think, if anything, it was an accident. But, you know, who knows? She could have had adverse reaction to the Sudafed or been on something else. Who knows? So let's go back to what? Somebody said in the chat, metabolic acidosis. Is that like a metabolic acidosis? I would guess that has to do with the breakdown of the medications and, you know, contributing alcohol to it as well. So, um, sorry, I was reading the chat comments there. We got so into this that I haven't had a chance to go back and read a lot of the chat comments, but people are really, thank you for, for commenting in here. We'll go back and see if we can get to some of them before the end of the show. So there's one more theory 
that you got to throw out there because you're looking at a woman's death that almost exactly mirrors this movie, this horror movie that came out in 2005, but goes back to actually an orig- a, a Japanese short story. So in 1996, a, a Japanese short story called Floating Water by Koji Suzuki was the basis for the movie Dark Water. So the story was written in 1996. The movie's made in 2005. 2013, they find Elisa Lamb's body in almost a mirror image of what happened in this scary movie. So was Elisa Lamb being plagued by something otherworldly that forced her to jump in the water tank, maybe based on this story that she could have possibly heard at some point in her life. True, but I don't know. That's a little, I think that's stretching. It is, but how strange is it that her body is found in the exact same way? And that's how her, that's the reason that her body is found is because as her body was decomposing and breaking down, people in the hotel literally found it in the water. Yeah, well, that would lead me to believe that there was some killer, somebody killed her, maybe was obsessed with the movie. I'm, I'm going to bring up Dexter Morgan again. There was, a, there was an, an episode of, um, not an episode, there was a story of, of a killer who was obsessed with Dexter Morgan. He was obsessed watching that show and he was also a filmmaker and he made a movie. Well, he was trying to make a movie about this guy who killed people. The movie was called SK confessions and he would lure these people on dating sites, pretending that they were female. And he actually got some guy to come set up a whole kill room, killed the guy, cut him up, burned his body because he was obsessed with, you know, I'm not saying it was because of Dexter he did it, but that's the way he mo- he modeled it after that. He set up a kill room and everything, so it's possible somebody was obsessed with this movie. That's stretching too, you know, that they were obsessed with this movie and they modeled it after that because they knew there was some tank up there. But but still, it's so strange that it's almost exactly the way that it happened. I mean, that's literally like imitating art in the absolute worst form and fashion that you could have ever imagined. That's pretty, it's pretty insane. The mirroring, how it's, you know, pretty similar. Well, it's exactly the same. It's not even similar. It's exactly the same. So Shay, you have your own theories. Why don't you, um, why don't you take us through some of those? Well, they they obviously did the autopsy and found limited drugs in her body. But I was going to say it's quite possible that maybe she was a subject of some kind of testing. You know, they used to do with something we're going to get into on our podcast here soon is a story about MKUltra, which they would, you know, drug people, test LSD on people, and it would cause them to become manic and become, you know, start seeing things and hallucinating and freaking out, almost similar to what she was doing in that elevator. 
seeing things, hearing things, you know, having these episodes where they thought people were chasing them, becoming paranoid. So, I mean, that's what I was going to say. But there was some something that she took. There had to have been something that inter- counteracted with something else to make her act the way she was acting. I don't see any normal person who's in complete sober mind right. acting this way. There's there was a- something, something mental going on there. Yeah. Whether she was in some manic state, There's and it, and it could be both. It could be she was in a manic state, and somebody took advantage of that and killed her. Right. There's a comment. Uh, Cassandra commented in the chat said someone probably put something in her drink, and it didn't mix right with her, and she ended up dying. And they put her there to hide her body. I think it was someone who works in the hotel or someone that was around there all the time. So that's kind of what you're alluding to right there is that someone actually could have given her. Something yeah. that caused her to be in an altered state and and it led to her death. And then they panicked and had to dispose of the body. But it would lead you to believe because that area was difficult to get to um, that it could have been someone who worked at the hotel that didn't have to climb up there with her body on the fire escape that had a key or access to get in there and dump her body. I'm not a behavioral scientist by any means, you know, but you see people, you see people's mannerisms. And when she walks out of that elevator, like she's talking to somebody, she's like putting her arms up, you know what I mean? Almost in like a relaxed state, like she's talking to someone just like, hey, how you doing? You know, I do that stuff all the time where you just move your arms around where you're talking to people. And it just doesn't look like she's in some like state where she's being chased by somebody. It's almost like she's in a playful, like looking for somebody like, you know, Russ said it earlier in the chat, the elevator game, you know, like she's, she's playing a game almost. It's, it's weird. She's not acting like she's being chased. And I guess that would kind of go back to also the last people who physically saw her alive said that she was happy, cheerful, outgoing, you know, talking with them could she have met the wrong person there who led her into doing something or, you know, tricked her into going up there? You also have to remember that if her body was there for the entire 19 days floating in water, there's going to be a lot of breakdown. Could that have caused... If there had been some type of trauma to her body, could her skin have been so broken down that they didn't detect that some trauma could have happened? There were details in this that I'm not going to say on here that um, actually talked about some other physical evidence that they questioned um, that some question could have, could it have been a result of a sexual assault and the coroner basically said no that could have happened because her body was in the water for so long yeah i mean i i i don't know i mean it's such a bizarre case i always say this about every single thing somebody knows something and you say the last people to see her alive said that she was happy go lucky in a good mood but those are the people that reported seeing her for the last time. We don't know who else saw her. 
And as you know, for all we know, she was talking to somebody in the hallway who knew the camera was in there and stayed off camera on purpose. So. So Shay, uh, it's almost that time. We're going to wrap it up in just a few minutes. So your final thoughts on this case, I guess from the, you know, LAPD standpoint, this is pretty much uh, a closed case. But to me, it still seems like so much is unexplained. And you would think with her missing cell phone, they could have traced records. If there was a camera in that elevator, were there not cameras other places in the hotel that could have monitored her tracks? It just seems to me like there was a lot of stuff left out of the media on purpose, I guess. And if you know anything about like how cases work in law enforcement, stuff is leaked. Certain stuff's leaked. Some stuff gets leaked that's not supposed to get leaked. But sometimes law enforcement does leak certain parts of this investigation. And other parts they leave secretive because if they kept somebody or figure out what happened in this story, all these details that certain people shouldn't know but know all of a sudden become suspects. So I think there is stuff that was left out, stuff that we're not privy to. And once again, you're in a a big city where the homicide rate is so high. And it's just, I think, a matter sometimes of just closing as many cases as you can, regardless if there's more evidence to it or not. And it's not saying that cops are not doing their job, but it just comes down to politics, I think, at the end of the day. And I I don't believe that this should have just been ruled a suicide. I mean, I honestly don't. There's something else more to it. And if we'll ever figure it out, who knows? It could just remain one of them unsolved, weird, bizarre cases that we'll never get an answer to. Yeah. Unfortunately, I, I, I agree with that. Like you said, I think there are so many cases, so many in that area, especially that they just want to close the books And sometimes they take the most obvious choice. And um, it it seems that that happened with Elisa Lamb. Could it have been suicide or accidental? Absolutely. But still a lot of questions remained unanswered and just a very sad situation for her family. So, guys, that pretty much wraps up the death of Elisa Lamb. Shay, you've got... um, a couple of things coming up. If you want to tell everybody what's coming out on our podcast this week and also a podcast that you were a guest on. Yeah, we're going to be releasing an episode. I know we took uh, a last week off for the podcast, but we're back this week and we're going to be talking about uh, the history of Halloween. Halloween. Sam Hain, at least in the research that we did. So we're going to be talking about that. We got some more, you know, interesting stuff we're going to be talking about on the podcast. We're actually about to start, you know, recording for another series we're doing about another unsolved murder that happened in Huntington, West Virginia. Another bizarre case that is still like no one's ever been arrested for it. So that's going to be coming out soon. But also uh, tomorrow night, I'm going to be uh, I was I pre-recorded with uh, Ghost Hunting in New England podcast. Uh Great show. It's about ghost hunting in New England, but they asked me to be on the show. So I'm going to be a guest on that podcast tomorrow. So check it out. It's on 
uh, all your podcasting apps. Uh, go check them out. It's Ghost Hunting in New England. Give them a five-star review. Great ladies, unbelievers as well. So make sure you check them out. And check out our podcast. If you don't know, Serial Spirits, check it out. iTunes, Paranormal Warehouse, SoundCloud. Go leave us a five-star review. Yeah, you guys, we we do have, uh, and that's something I want to mention, coming up on Serial Spirits. I put a post out on my personal page this week about the story of a girl who was murdered here in my hometown of Huntington in 2007. Her name was Leah Hickman. Leah, uh, her body was found, but no one has ever been arrested for her murder. I am currently uh, reaching out to local people. So if you are from Huntington, West Virginia, if you knew anyone involved in that case or that family, please feel free to reach out to me um, on any of our social media outlets. That's something that we are researching much like we did with the Samantha Burns case. So guys, again, thanks for tuning in to Paranormal Warehouse. If you have not already subscribed to Warehouse, Guys, it's five bucks a month and you get unlimited access to all of our live investigations, um, additional shows that we're doing. I'm going to post one later tonight. I have a Weebs Extra with Gateway Paranormal's Matt Wyatt, which is an awesome interview. Those guys are phenomenal. So you guys stay tuned for that and we will see you back here again next week on Paranormal Warehouse. Good night, guys. Bye-bye.